Well, good morning, it's Family Church. Great to you guys could join us on this uh, Sunday morning on our online church again. And we just want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time just to come join us. Don't forget that uh, as from today, our sermons will start probably at about five past nine in the morning. So we'll start earlier with worship. Um, if you cannot watch on, on, on Facebook Live, don't forget you can go to Podbean. You just download the Podbean app and you click in the Aces Family Church PE. And you'll be able to listen to our sermons there, or you can also go to our website, www.asusfamilychurch.co.za, and our sermons will be on the website. Or you can just join us on our YouTube channel, which the link will be on your screen right now, and you guys can listen to the sermon on YouTube as well. But before we get started this morning, can we open up in prayer? Father, I want to thank you for this time. Thank you that we're able just to fellowship like this, and I know it's different. But Father, we're still fellowshipping one to another. And I pray even as the saints would gather all over the nations, all over the world this morning, to hear the good news of Jesus, to hear the gospel, the good gospel, the good news that you've left with us, Father, and you've released over us. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would come and that you fill our hearts, our minds, our souls this morning. And you give us a peace that's a possible understanding, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I entitled my message this morning, Who is Jesus? And, and not in the sense of, Want to do a documentary about who Jesus this morning, but I want to share probably a little bit of my testimony with you this morning, um, and I think it'll be relevant to a lot of you guys and what you're going through and what you're journeying through right now. And so, you know, I just want you just to listen. I know some of you've heard what I've got to share this morning once or twice before, but I really felt imperative that I do share this testimony with each and every one of you this morning. Uh, I grew up in a, in, a, in a Christian home. My mother has been a Christian her whole life. My dad. Um, came to know the Lord a little bit later, but you know, we, we grew up in church life, we, we went to youth on a Friday night, we did Sunday school on a Sunday morning, and we did church uh, whenever possible, we joined in, in prayer meetings, my parents took us everywhere with them, and so we grew up, as I would say, as a believer, and, uh, and knowing about God, and knowing about Jesus, and, and what He was doing in and through our lives. But probably at the age of 12, I made a commitment to Jesus. And I'll never forget, it was a little scout hall in Warmer, and it was in a little kitchen area. You know, we had youth as the normal, and the youth leader at the time, you know, asked, is there anyone who committed life to Jesus? And, and he shared the message of hope. He shared the message that Jesus can really turn our lives around. And uh, I was in grade 7, 7, 5 for, you, for the older folk. And uh, I, I just felt, you know, the time was right for me to give my life to Jesus. Just the time was just... Um, perfect um, because I would really need Jesus in, in the months and years to come because I was about to go to high school, didn't really know what it was all about, what to expect and uh, and almost in a panic, you know, just saying, you know, God, here I am uh, and I think you could start praying in this little tiny little kitchen and uh, God told me, you know, what I need to do and, and how my life needs to be sorted out and I need to get into the Word of God and I need to pray an incredible man of God that, that led me to the Lord. When I hit high school, I think everything changed for me. I think the wheels came off completely. I think it was a whole new world. You were this little fish in a big pond all of a sudden. Um, as a man, um, or as a young man, you're trying to make your way, trying to make your uh, impression felt in who you were um, in this massive pond of fish that were much bigger than you. And uh, I, I remember starting to compromise on so much that I believed in, so much that I stood for, in my life simply because I wanted to fit in, I wanted to belong. You know, you came out of primary school and I was a prefect and I played first team um, cricket and first team rugby and an athletics team and I, I did all that. So, you know, I, I had a good position in my primary school. Coming to high school, I just walked in and I was nobody. I was 
um, just somebody, one of these little baby kids that walked in there that they just ripped us to pieces and made us wear name tags and do all the horrible stuff with us. And, and, and I quickly realized that, you know, for me to fit into this, into this school, I have to fit into certain things. Um, and, and a lot of those things that I had to fit into was a compromise in what I believed in, what I stood for. Um, it wasn't as if um, God had led me to these things, but I actually just went in the opposite direction, complete opposite direction to what I believed God's calling was for my life. And, and you just know you're 14, 15, 16 years old and the wheels come off and you're trying all kinds of stuff and you got girlfriends and <clears throat> you just you just going through the process of, of making a name for yourself, establishing yourself in the sports circles, establishing yourself you know, amongst the girls, establishing yourself amongst the cooler kids that are in grades higher than you. And I just remember, almost like my life falling to pieces um, in high school. And I don't mean falling to pieces in the sense of I was in a bad space. My life fell to pieces because I felt that I'd moved so far away from God during the season that He would never take me back. He would never accept me for who I was or what I was journeying or what I was going through. And uh, I remember at one stage, you know, whenever I really needed God, whenever I really was in trouble when I didn't study for my exam, when I didn't study for my test, when my homework wasn't done. It was cool then to call on God. It was then cool to, you know, God, please help me in the situation. I remember as a young man, 15, 16, 17 years old, you know, praying all these prayers. You know, God, you've got to come through for me. You know, you love me, Lord. And, uh, you know, um, just help me through this exam. Help me through this test. Help me through what it is that I'm journeying right now. And, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, God always seemed to come through for me. And yet it still didn't bring me to a place where I desperately needed God. Um, I uh, finished matric eventually and uh, went to the police college. And in the police college, the only form of religion we really had was that you need to choose a church. So you had to be very wise in how you chose your church. So because when you when you signed on the police, well, they would ask you what denomination or what religion are you. Um, and uh, at the time, the guys had warned us before, you know, say you're a Methodist because the Methodists, they call that church is on the outside of the police college. So you get to get into a bus, you go to the thing, you really don't have to sit in the service, you can actually go walk around, just make sure that you're there when the bus comes back, in a sense. And so, you know, I joined the Methodist church um, in the police college because it was cool, you know, we just would get on the bus, we would walk into the church, we'd greet everyone, but 10 minutes later, we would all be sneaking out and going to be, um, due to the spas and shops and going to um, go buy ourselves what we need and snuck it back into the college again. But, you know, we were there when the, when the service ended and, and nobody kept record of us. There was no, you know, supervision in it. And um, my life went on, you know, uh, Chantal and myself eventually got married and uh, uh, we had our child, Jessica. And at that time we bought our own house and we bought our own car. And so life was really good for us. We were, we were in a good place and I was doing well in the police force and covered an school job. Um, Jessica was doing well. She was our firstborn. Um, you, like I said, we just bought our first house. We still live in the same house today. And, um, you know, I think life was good. And, and almost so good that I actually didn't need God in my life. But still, there's that stirring in me that, you know, when things go bad, I needed God in my life. I really needed to pray about this. I really need to pray about all these kinds of things. And, and so it was, a, it was almost like a, a relationship of convenience for me that, Whenever I was in need, I needed God. And, and He was the one that I would reach out to. He was the one that I would pray to. And, and the craziest thing is that nobody through this whole process did I 
So I feel like God had neglected me or God had thrown me away or, you know, God had, um, in a sense, wanted nothing to do with me. There was always this, 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 this sense that He was always with me. No matter what I did, there was always this calling, almost like this, this anointing, if I can put it like that, in a sense, His presence uh, it was always there for me. It doesn't matter what I faced, it doesn't matter what situations I went through or, or places I found myself in. God somehow seemed to always come through for us. And as most of you know the story, um, Shantal fell pregnant with our second child, Carrie Ann. And um, when Carrie Ann was born, she was born um, with a certain syndrome. And she didn't last very long and she passed. And when she passed, I was really angry with God. I was angry to the place where I asked God the question, how can a loving God, how can a loving God do this to someone like me? You know, you know, God, um, and I think I've got to say this because I found myself very becoming self-righteous. Is that I only wanted to serve God when I needed to, or when I wanted something. I only went to church when I when I needed something or I wanted to. And so when this happened, I was devastated because I wasn't in a relationship with God in a sense. I would call myself a believer, <coughs> but I never call myself a Christian because from a young age I've always been to been taught that, that to, to, to use the term Christian is to be Christ-like. And I think there's one thing that I realized in all of this is that I didn't, wasn't acting Christ-like in any way. I really wasn't a Christ-like behavior. I, I wasn't acting like the other Christians. I wasn't, you know, joining the SEA at school. I wasn't, you know, praying in the morning before school and that kind of stuff. But I was a believer in a sense. And so, you know, when people say, no, you Christians, like, no, no, but I, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe there's a God out there or... You know, I, I, believe, I believe in God. But, but they never went deeper than that. And, and, and when Carrie Ann passed, I was really struggling. I was saying, God, what are you going to do? Why did you do this to me? Why did I have to journey this thing? Really trying to understand what had happened in my life and what had gone through. I, I got to such a place in my life that I just moved away from God completely. And the irony was that the more or the longer I felt that, or the further I felt, put it that way, that I'd moved from God, the closer somehow... I felt that God kept on drawing to me. And, and in this terrible time, in this difficult time, and in this time of, you know, just everything like falling apart around me and me being angry with God and being angry with the doctors and being angry with everyone while my daughter had passed, um, God just kept going at me and kept going at me and kept going at me. And, uh, and eventually she myself just gave in and we said, you know what, we're going to go to church and let's go see what this is all about. And, I remember going to church and, and one Sunday, you know, attended a few services and really just, you know, to ease my own conscience right now, I think, that I did to church. And I think a lot of you can identify with what I'm saying right now. But um, I remember one day the pastor that was there preached the story in Luke 15 from verse 11 to 32. And it's the story of the prodigal son. And uh, we all know the story and you can go read it, but I, I'm going to paraphrase you quickly. And, and the word simply says that there was a certain man that had two kids. A man obviously of great wealth. Um, he, he must have been a farmer or, uh, or something like that. Um, but the youngest son came to him one day and just to him and I said, you know what, I'm tired of all of this. I'm tired of, you know, just uh, uh, working on the farm and, and, and doing all this kind of stuff. Can you just give me my inheritance? Because, you know, in the Hebrew culture, that the kids get the inheritance before the parents pass away. And uh, so he took his inheritance, the Bible says, and he just squandered it on, on you know, prostitutes and drinking and partying and jolling and doing whatever he wanted to do. And, and I relate so to the story because that's who I was, even though 
I still belonged to the Father. In a sense, I was still a son. I had walked away from the Father. The thing that I only realized later on in life was this, that it doesn't matter what I did, you were still my Father. That doesn't matter what I journeyed, that God at no stage threw me away. That through the thick and the thin and the fighting and the shouting and the screaming and the crying and whatever I journeyed, he never threw me away, that I remained his son. And as I listened to the story of how this pastor preached about this prodigal son that, you know, the dad just never gave up on me. In a sense, every day the dad would go to the front door and, and look down this long road. And, and every day he would wonder, when is that son coming back? When is that son coming back? When is that son coming back? And we all know the story that the younger son eventually ends up in a big style. He's got no money, he's got nothing. And he thinks to himself, man, you know, I'd rather go be a servant with my dad. Um, you know, they live like this because they get treated better than me. And we all understand that he takes this long journey to go back to his father's home. And um, we all know as everything, the father's standing on the stoop waiting. He looks down the road. Man, there comes the son. He gets excited. He gets the sandals out. He gets the robe out. He gets the signet ring out. Ring out and he says to this, uh, finally, the, the, the fatted calf, you know, just bring it in. We are celebrating. My son is on his way home. And... Um, I remember just listening to the story and I think to myself, but that's impossible, you know, because, um, you know, surely he should be punished for what he did. I mean, as, as human beings, you know, we, if you do something wrong, you get punished for what you do. Um, there's a consequence to every decision. And yet, this father didn't punish his son. And, and I struggled with this because I came out part of a disciplined family. Um, my dad, was, he disciplined us and, and he taught us what was right and what was wrong in our lives. It wasn't a thing that he beat us. He taught us what was right and what was wrong. And, and he also made us understand something that when you did something wrong, there was a consequence to your decision. And, and as kids, as youngsters, we had to walk out those consequences with my dad until he felt that we had paid the price for what we had done wrong. But in this story, it was incredible because the father just accepted him back, brought out the fact that God brought out the signet ring, brought out the robe and the sandals. And almost in this massive celebration, you know, um, all of a sudden I had this massive party thrown for this kid that I thought was totally disobedient and totally let God and, and you know, why? Why would, oh, let his father, but why would his father do this to him? And as I just started to build my relationship with God, I started to understand the story more and more. I started to understand what, what a loving God is about. I started to understand um, what does it mean when, when the word of God says, our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. I understand now more than anything that God's never going to leave me and He's never going to forsake me. But in the, in the frame that I was in right then, I just thought that, you know what, uh, I don't want to come back to God because I, I, I was going to get punished. And you know what I'm talking about. You know, we knew, we were all boys and girls growing up, teenagers, getting up to the biggest lot of nonsense in the world. And when we got home, you know, my mom would say something like in the car, like, just wait till we get home. That was the worst part about being a teenager, my mother saying, just wait till we get home. Or she said, wait till your father gets home. And we knew we were going to be in serious trouble, you know, when dad got home. But dad was going to sort us out and, and we were going to be in serious trouble. We were going to get ground or we were going to get a hiding or our allowance was going to get taken away from us because we knew what we did was wrong. And in the story, is that the son never at any stage, you know, comes back and says, oh, you know, dad, I'm really sorry. And, you know, I messed up. And, you know, he just, he just comes in and his dad just throws everything open for him and, and as I just started to understand the scripture, almost like year by year, God opened the scripture to me more and more. And um, 
I, I, there was paper and reading, and then I, I found myself in a place where I said, you know what, God, I'm just going to surrender my life to you, and, and uh, I'm the prodigal son, I, I'm coming back, I, I'm coming back, and I did, I changed my life, I, I changed the way we did stuff, I, did, I changed the way we, we worshipped God as a family, you know, in a sense, came, became a youth pastor, um, or youth leader at the time, um, got onto the eldership and, and just really just um, got involved with the things of God, really got involved with what was happening in church life, loved it, loved what God was doing in my life, loved what God was doing in my family. And, and one day I, I actually preached on the sermon and I preached on this, the story of the prodigal son. And, um, and as I was taking down my notes, I'll never forget it, verse 31 just caught me. And, and verse 31 was quite a, I opened it to me and I'm going to read it to you. And I'm going to read from, let me read from verse 28. He says, and now we're speaking about the, the older brother. The older brother has now seen this massive party that's been thrown. He asked the servant, what's going on? The servant said to me, your, your brother's back. Your father's throwing a party. He's celebrating. All right. And immediately the older brother gets upset. Let's read from verse 25 to be safe. He says, and now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what does these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received, has been received him safe and son, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go there. Before, Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Listen to the story. The older son is throwing the toys out the cart because, and, he, he, and you know what, I agreed with the story. Because you know what, I've been slaving on this farm my whole life. I've been working on this farm. I've been doing the great stuff. You know, why would you do that for someone? And, he, and it's, it says, but, but he was angry and would not go in there. And therefore his father came and pleaded with him. So he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I've served you. I've never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. And as soon as the son of yours comes who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fat calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It, is, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and now is found. And as I was preparing the sermon, God really tugged in my heart. And God just said to me one day, isn't it amazing how you've, how, how you've moved from the prodigal son to the older brother? And I really thought about that. I thought, what, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, um, what, why, why are you saying that to me? I mean... You know, I, I'm doing well, I'm serving you, I'm doing things faithfully. Uh, you know what, I, I'm always there for you. I'm running the youth, I'm running a life group, I'm, I'm part of the leadership. Uh, you know, the whole thing, I, I'm doing it all. Because, you know, this is what sons do when they serve in the house. And, uh, and God said to me, yeah, did you become the older brother? And in that moment, oh God, why would you say that to me? Why would you say that I've become the older brother? I'm not disgruntled. And when I sat down and I really started to hear what God was downloading in my spirit. I realized that I did. I did. I had become the older brother. I was one that was standing in judgment of those that were still smoking. I was standing in judgment of those that were still drinking and they had nice BMWs and they had nice cars and they were living in fancy houses and they had money. And I was thinking to myself, my goodness, you know, Lord, yeah, I'm serving you faithfully. I'm riding this 1981 Toyota Corolla. And it had more rust on that, uh, uh, more rust on it than when it rained. There was more on the inside than the outside of the car. We were picking up like 20, 30, 40 youth on a Friday night in this little Toyota Corolla. And it's almost like somewhere subconsciously, 
The devil said to me, you know what has happened? Ever since you become a believer, you lost everything. Remember when you were in the world, you had all these friends, and you had a nice car that you guys had bought, and you had bought your first house, and you had your child and everything, and, and look where you are now. You know, look where you are right now. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you're riding this old car, you know, you're struggling to make ends meet, you haven't got petrol half the time to go visit the family. You, you know, I don't think God is being fair to you, and this voice kept telling me behind you, you know, that God's not being fair, God's not being fair. And I didn't realize that I started to become, my attitude changed towards those that I come from. Somehow I had forgotten what it was like not to have Jesus in my life. Somewhere I had forgotten the need for, for earnest prayer when I was in a bad situation. Because all of a sudden I found myself serving God so faithfully. And, and doing the things that God wanted me to do, all of a sudden, like, everything just fell to pieces around me. And I was thinking, like, well, is this the right thing to do? You know, um, have we just lost our mind right now? Um, should we just go back to the world? Or what should we do? You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand this. And in that moment, God takes me to a scripture that I've always held so dear to my, my heart. And I think you guys know the scripture. And I've spoken about it so many times before. But it's a scripture of where Jesus has just fed 4,000 men, um, he just fed another 5,000 men, he's crossed over into, into the region that in, in Caesarea Philippi, and uh, he gets on the boat and, he, and he, does, he, he asks the disciples an interesting question. And I'm going to touch on this quickly, because he turns around to Peter and he says to Peter, and let's read from verse, verse 13, alright, um, that's chapter 16, Matthew 16, from verse 13, and it says, goes like it says, And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, So, who do men say that I am? And he asked the disciples, So, what are the people saying about me? And, and, and I think Jesus wanted an honest answer from them. Because all of a sudden, Jesus was doing these most miraculous miracles. You know, like 4,000 men, uh, 5,000 men, you know, a couple of fish, a couple of loaves of bread, 12 baskets left over. And so I think Jesus in his mind was thinking, are these people following me for what I can give them? Or are they following me because they bind into who I am, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God? Or are they just wanting me because I'm able to do stuff? I'm able to do signs and wonders and miracles and they've seen healings and they've seen feeding and they've seen... Um, the dead man raised. and So Jesus, for a moment, said to himself, tell me something, what do, what do people say about me out there? And I read that first thing, and, and I really thought to myself, wow, you know, this is quite an interesting question that Jesus is asking. And the, and the disciples, Carol, they say, and some say that you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah, and others still one said that you're a prophet from somewhere else. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am. I think that question rocked my world more than anything in my 25 years of, of, of being a Christian, in 20 years of ministry. Because often in my life, I've had to come back to that question over and over again. Who do you say that I am? And, and, and often I, I've got to sit down and go, God, who are you in my life right now? Who are you to me right now. Because you've got to understand something. You know, when I read Isaiah 9 verse 6, and it speaks about Jesus and the prophetic word of Jesus, and I love this, this scripture from the word go, 
But it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of this government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from the time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so I do really, well, you know what, uh, that was Martin, you know, you're a wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And, and so that was my idea, because that was the idea that was taught to me, and, and I felt Jesus say back to me in that moment, when I'm asking you to do the same thing, who do you say that he is? And not just who do you say that he is, I want to ask you a further question. Who is Jesus really to you? Is Jesus the God that Kurt served before he became a Christian? Is it the God in need? Is it God indeed? Is God, the, Jesus, the person to you that will help you when you're sick? Help you when your finances are not going to be able to, to pay the bills at the end of the month? Uh, is, is Jesus God to you when your child needs a miracle or he needs an operation or your child is sick or your marriage is going through difficult times. There's thousands of questions because we, we can't live in this thing of a God in need is a God in need. And we cannot run to God only when we're in time of crisis. And Jesus says to them, so who do you say that I am? What are you saying to them say? Guys, guys, think about this. You've seen the miracles. You've seen the signs. You've seen the wonders. You've seen me feed. You, you've seen me do all this stuff. And, and everything that you've seen, and you've lived with me, you've slept with me, and we've eaten together, and we've bathed together, and we've, we know we've journeyed together. In all of this, in all of this, that we've journeyed together, who am I to you? Simon Peter answers, and he says, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, that scripture, that little phrase, put me on a whole new journey. A whole new journey. Because I had believed in Jesus, I had received him as Lord and Savior in my life, I was serving him faithfully, I was doing church work, as I said before, all the good stuff. But Jesus makes the statement to Simon, and he says to him, listen, only God could have revealed to you, to you who I really am. And I sat back for a minute and I thought to myself, wow, good. Have you ever sat with the Father? Have you ever sat and spent time with Him and said, you know, Lord, who is Jesus to me? Why did Jesus come to this earth? What part does Jesus need to play in my life? What does Jesus need to do? And what do I need to do to please Jesus? And I started to ask myself this question, searching the scriptures and, and learning and studying more about Jesus. And I remember um, my mother-in-law bought this little contemporary English Bible, little blue, and I still got it on the, uh, on, uh, right here. And uh, I took up a pencil and a ruler, and I started to study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I remember every time that Jesus did something, or every time there was red writing in the Bible, I would underline it. And I, and I realized that, that, that the more I read the scripture, the more God started to reveal to me who Jesus really was in my life. He wasn't a God in need. He was a God that I needed every single day of my life. 
I read through these scriptures and, 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 and the scriptures told me, and, and, and Paul and, and the writers write and say, you know, your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west and, you know, God has only got good things for you and, and you know, uh, uh, blessed are those, those who mourn for days will see the kingdom of heaven. I read all these scriptures and all these things still didn't make sense to me because I realized something that even though I was living like an older brother, I still had the younger brother mentality. But God, why would you forgive my sins? Why would you remove these things from me? Why would, it doesn't make sense, God. You, somebody needs to be punished through this thing. And I never really fully got fell in love with Jesus till I understood what Jesus really did for me on the cross of Calvary. You see, Jesus had to become my very best friend. Jesus had to become my confidant. Jesus had to become the person that I would go to in trouble at times, in times of need. And I just knew that every time I prayed, I, could, I just said, Holy Spirit, you know, just come and reveal more Jesus and reveal more Jesus. And the amazing thing is that, that Jesus, that God revealed more of Jesus through his Holy Spirit to me, not just by what sermons I heard, by my life, my lifestyle. You know, I was constantly pointing fingers at everyone else. I said, oh, but you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. And every time I got reminded all the way back, hey, remember what you looked like when you came up that road. Remember what you looked like when I was waiting for you, Jesus said to me. Remember the party that I threw that went into the kingdom of heaven. Remember what you smelled like when you had me for the first time. You still smelled like pigsty. You still smelled like rotten pumpkin. You still smelled like pig. And all of a sudden, everything had to change in my life. Because I started to realize something more and more each and every day. That God was not there to destroy me. God was not there to condemn me. God was not there to hold my sins against me. But I had this epiphany one day. Uh, in, 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 I was lying in the bath and, and just really just actually singing, just worshiping God. And, and in that moment, I just really felt Jesus start to tug on my heart. And he said to me, good, why are you so concerned about the consequences of your sins? And why are you so concerned about the consequences of everyone else's sins? And I'm going, God, yeah, but you know something, God, you know, um, this is not right. People can't do this. I, I don't know why you keep blessing these people. I don't know why you know, keep doing this. You know, there's so many people living a good life and a, and a healthy life. And I remember the word of God coming to me and Jesus saying to me, I took that away. So that there would be absolutely nothing that would separate you and me. That I don't want sin between us anymore. Wow. That, that, that shook me. Because all of a sudden I realized something. That if I'm in a real relationship, not a believer. But if I'm Christ-like, if I'm a Christian, if I call myself a Christian. And I act Christ-like, I need to act Christ-like. And I remember just sitting lane and thinking about my marriage and thinking about my kids and thinking about, you know, what God was doing in my life. And all of a sudden I realized something. That God loved me more than life itself. That in that moment I realized that God wanted to do something so significant with me. But I had to play to a place of surrender. I had to have my big style moment where th there was nothing left but to go back to God. I had to go through what I did with Carrie Ann because it made me a better man. It made me a better father. It made me a better husband. It made me a better friend. It made me more compassionate towards people. And I didn't realize that everything that I was journeying in the first almost 25, 26 years of my life, God was busy grooming me for something that God wanted to do in my life for the rest of it. 
You see, sin had to stop in my life, not because it was sin. Sin had to stop my life because I thought to myself, if you really love Jesus as much as you say you do, why do you continue to do what you do? I remember that time making the decision that I was going to stop a lot of things in my life. I remember, and they were hard. But I just got to a place where every time I wanted to sin, I would think to myself, what, what would Jesus be thinking right now? What would he be saying to me right now? What, he, what, would, he be, what would he be thinking right now? All of a sudden, I would, I would think twice about what I did. And you don't understand that, that sin didn't become an issue in my life anymore because I was so focused on trying to please God. And not just please God, but be in that relationship where I can just walk into His presence. Be in that relationship where I can just fall at His feet. Be in that relationship where I didn't have to come through sacrifices of lambs or, or go to a confession or say words or, or anything like that. That doesn't matter where I found myself that Jesus was there waiting for me every step of the way. Every step of the way. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this, this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? You know, Jesus carries on to, with Simon, he says to him, and Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should not tell anyone that he was Jesus, the Christ. On this, I will build my church. On this truth, I will build fellowship. And we often think it's, it's the church building that he's speaking about. But it's not the church building he's speaking about. Because we are the church. And, and, and it's like he said to Peter, you know what, if my people can only believe that I am Christ, the Son of the living God, the one that died in Calvary, that rose again, that my relationship with, with, with God will change, that your relationship with God will change. And I, and I need to say this to you, is there a God in need in your life? Is there a God that you turn to when there's crisis? Is there a God that you forget about when, you have, when you've got tons of money, but as soon as the money runs low, you're back and you want to seek Him with all your heart. But when things are good, you're just partying and joining and doing your own stuff. Because you know the Word of God says in, in, in the Scriptures that there's a season to everything under the sun. We don't know what next week brings. We don't know what next month brings. We don't know, even in this country, what the next few hours bring. But there's one thing that I've realized during this pandemic, and it's this. Again, God stirred me this week. Hey, good. Who am I to you? Am I Jesus, the Son of God, that can heal? Am I Jesus, the Son of God, that can turn your life around? Am I Jesus, the Son of God, that can use you in ways that you can never imagine? Are you, am I Jesus to you, the one that can provide, the one that can destroy this COVID-19 pandemic, the one that can restore our nation, the one that can restore our economy, the one that can heal, the one that can deliver, the one that can set free? And sometimes we lose track of who God really is in our lives. And even in the last two weeks, I really said, Holy Spirit, you need to just help me again. And almost just like heard me back into a direction again because I found myself doing all kinds of things. You know, we've got to do the video of this and we got to do the live streaming and, and, and we've got to have meetings and, and we've got to make sure that this is sanitized. And, and all of a sudden, all this stuff became more important to me 
than the Word of God. It became more important to me than my quiet time. And even though I knew I was doing God's stuff, I wasn't doing God. And that's a crazy thing to hear from your pastor. But life does. Life goes crazy like that. And before you and I know we haven't spoken to him for two or three days. We haven't opened the Bible for two or three days. We haven't attended church for three, four, five, six months. You know, all of a sudden money's good and, and, and things are going well. We don't need God. But when Christ is, we find ourselves back in church again. And I want to say to you that God wants to build on a sure foundation in your life. And that sure foundation has to be Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to leave this thought with you today. Who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus to you? What does the cross of Calvary mean to you? Are you the prodigal son that needs to come home right now? Because I want to tell you he's waiting for you. And I want to tell you that there's nothing that you've done that can separate the love that he has for you. There's nothing that he's heard that you've done that will cause you to move off the step. He will still be standing, looking down the road, waiting for you. Or maybe you're just the older brother. Maybe we've been in church life too long. Maybe we become so critical of everyone around us. We judge everyone around us and, and we think we're super spiritual and just because you're doing God's stuff that, that we're high and mighty. No. It's not about doing God's stuff. It's about doing God. And falling in love with Him all over again. And falling in love with His Son Jesus and, and having fellowship with the Holy Spirit constantly. And so this week, I want you to take time. This week, I want you to take time and ask yourself that question. Like Jesus is asking you right now. Who do you say that I am? Do you believe that it can bring you back from the pig pen? Do you believe that even if you're the older brother right now, that I can show you my grace and my mercy? That I can show you what I really did for you? on the cross of Calvary. This week, forget about the news, forget about what is being announced, forget about the COVID, forget about the craziness happening around us. And may you and I truly discover again who Jesus is in our lives. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray for every one of you that are listening this morning that this week would be a, a whole moment in your life. This, this, this week and the weeks to come, will be that moment where you realize what he's done for you. That what he's still about to do in you and through you. And so I pray that your heart will be opened. I pray that heaviness will be removed from you. I pray that every bit of anxiety and every depression and, and those that are feeling hopeless right now, I want to pray that hope will fill your heart and that peace will fill your hope and that joy will fill your lives and that you will start to walk in the calling and the purpose and the plan that God has for you and that you would come to a place where you understand who Jesus really is to you. It's not about the signs and the miracles. It's not about the feeding of the four or the five thousand. It's about who do you say that he is. And so I want you to answer that question this week in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you've never given up on us, that you've never turned your face away from us, that you've never held our sins against us, Father, that, Father, I know that we do so much wrong in our lives, and yes, there's a consequence to our decision, yes, we have to walk through so much of what we do. But, Father, one thing that never changes is your love that you have for us. Nothing can separate us from the love that you have for us. And I pray for every person that listened this morning. I want to pray that you fill their heart, their minds, and their souls right now with your Holy Spirit. I pray there where you're sitting church, right now in your chair, or you might be listening in your bedroom, whatever. I want you just to take a moment, Holy Spirit, just come. Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal who
who Jesus really is to me. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and reveal Jesus to every person listening. And may our relationship grow from strength to strength. And may we get to a place where we live a life so worthy of the calling. May we live a life that just stirs something so awesome in our hearts that we may know that we are loved by you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, have a blessed week. And uh, I just pray and I trust that God's going to be, just blow your mind this week. I pray that you fall so in love with Jesus. I pray that the Holy Spirit will cover you this week. And if you need prayer for, for if your sickness or prayer for your marriage or finance, whatever, hey, give us a call. Send us a message. Hey, good, put me on the prayer list. Uh, and we'd really love to be praying for you guys and just, just trusting God for breaking your life right now. But be safe out there. Take care. We love you. And see you guys soon.